If you'll turn with me to, to God's Word, we're, we're um, continuing the this, this series that, that Norman started last week um, and uh, about spiritual formation. Um, we're we're going to continue in First Peter, not, um, not by design, well not by my design or Norman's design. Um, we're, we're picking up where Norman left off, so First Peter chapter 1 and we're going to pick up verse 13. And we're going to read on through to verse 25 to the end of the chapter. If you're following in the Pew Bibles, it's page 1217. 1217. And this is what Peter writes. He says, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you once lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you called on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishing, perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. We end our reading there and we thank God for his word. Last weekend, last weekend we walked up Slemish together as a family. It's the first time that we've ever done that. Um, first time we've ever been up there and it was a pretty amazing experience. Um, if you've done it, uh, you're, maybe you've done it a few times, so it's not as hard um, as it was for us. It's tough going at first. Uh, and and um, having not done it before, we were never really sure how far away we were um, from, the, from the top of, of, of Slemish, which can be quite a, a testing thing because you're kind of hoping it's just, just a few more steps and you're there. Um, and, and we eventually came to a bit where, where it kind of sloped, a slightly gentler slope, and then there was this big rock up ahead of us with nothing really beyond it, and, and so we aimed for that rock. We got there and we sat down, um, re- really chuffed with ourselves that we had made it to the top. Uh, maybe what I didn't mention was that there was a lot of cloud covering, which didn't help us see where the top was. You probably know where this is going now. Um, as the cloud cleared, though, um, sitting there on that rock, I looked up behind us and, and there was more. Um, <laughs> there, there was more to go. So I broke the bad news to everyone that perhaps we weren't quite there yet. But eventually we got up um, and we started heading onwards and upwards. Um, and as the cloud started clearing, we, we saw a beacon saw a beacon up there and I thought, okay, well, that's got to be the top because it makes sense that they put a beacon at the top. And as, as, as we got closer and as the clouds started clear, what we realized what, uh, was that that beacon at the top is, is a cross. Um, in fact, there's two crosses 
up there. You might ask, where's the third cross? My suggested answer was, it's the one we're carrying with us um, that we're asked to carry. But that was just me trying to be super spiritual. Um, but but there's, there's two crosses um, up at the top of the mountain. Um, so you, you, you get to the top, you come to the steepest slope, and then there's a gentle slope, and then you're there. You're at the cross. You're at the top of the mountain. And now you have a choice. Well, the, you have three choices. The first choice is just to stop and rest, which is what we did. But then you've got a choice. Do I, do I continue in the path that I'm taking, uh, or do I turn around and go in a different direction? Um, if you do carry on uh, and walk straight on, there's, there's a bit of a rock, uh, and then there's a drop. Um, so the advice is not, not to carry on the path that you're on. Um, when you get to that cross, the advice is turn around. Go in a different direction. Um, don't carry on the way that you're going. It's much safer to turn around and go in the opposite direction, in a different direction. It's not to say that the walk back is easy, the walk back is quick or it's level, um, but it is a far better option than walking over a cliff edge. In Acts chapter two, Peter tells the people of Jerusalem about Jesus being the Messiah. And when they ask him, what must they do? He says to them, repent and be baptized. Turn around, change the direction that your life is going in because the way that you're going right now is only gonna lead to certain death. It was the cry of, of John the Baptist, this baptism of repentance that he brought, of turning away from the world and turning to something new. It's the first words that Jesus utters in the, in, in the Gospel of Mark. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. It is the choice that we make when we choose to follow Jesus to change the direction of travel in our lives, to stop following the world and its ways and choose to follow Jesus and his ways. So how are you doing on that? How are you doing with that? When you get to the cross at the top of Slemish and you turn around and walk in the opposite direction, it won't surprise you that the direction that you're now going on is taking you back down back down into the world that you just came from. When we choose to follow Jesus, that walk that you take with him will also take you back into the world. It's where we're meant to be. We're meant to go in the world, but not to have the world in us. It's the lesson Peter, James, and John learn when they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. As wonderful as that mountaintop experience was for them to see the glory of Jesus shining before them, that wasn't the place that Jesus wanted them to stay. As much as they wanted to stay in this place where they were experiencing the glory of God, they needed to go back down into the world where they could show others God's glory too. And the walk back down, it's not an easy walk. It might seem simple, it might feel a bit less draining and straining on the muscles because it's downhill, but, but you have to be really intentional in your walk. You have to be really careful in your walk back down. You need to be careful with every step that you take, watching where you put your foot, what rock you put your foot on to make sure it's safe and secure, that it's not going to wobble and make you slip up or fall. Make sure that you're careful about which patch of grass that you put your foot on, that it's not going to make you slip up. We had a bit of a competition going down um, to see who would slip or who could fall the least um, going down. Um, I'm not going to tell you who fell the least. In fact, this person didn't fall at all. I'm not going to tell you who it was because it was me. Um, 
Joanne might tell you that I half fell as if half falling is a thing at all. Um, she just makes things up sometimes. Um, but there's a reason that I didn't fall. In fact, there's two reasons that I didn't fall or slip on the way down. The first reason was because of the shoes that I was wearing. Um, I was wearing a good pair of hiking boots that had good grip on them, so when I, when I stepped on the ground, um, I wasn't going to slip up or fall. I was well equipped for the walk. The second reason um, is that I was the last person in the group. It was Bianca and Rachel and Joanne in front of me, and I was the last one in the group. So I could see where the slippery bits were. I could see where the loose rocks were because of the ones that had gone on ahead of me. When I came to a place where there were two options of where I could go, we could either go that way or that way, Rachel had been ahead of me, so she was able to tell me which was the safer way um, to go because she had already been down that way. I was able to navigate my way down because I wasn't doing it alone. There were people there to help me. There were people there to guide me and people for me to learn from. And when we choose to follow Jesus, when we repent, when we change the direction of our lives and we say we're now going to follow Jesus, the experience that we have is similar to. We need to be intentional in how we walk with Jesus. We need to be well equipped in our walk with Jesus. And we need to recognize that it's far easier to do that walk with others. These are themes that we're going to revisit over the coming weeks as we, as we work our way through this series. Repenting is not just about turning away from the ways of the world. It's also about turning towards something new and then walking in that direction. In the baptism services of some denominations, the candidate for baptism is asked two questions. The first question is, do you turn away from evil? But then there's a second question that says, and do you turn towards God? It's not just about what we turn away from, but what we turn towards that makes the difference. It's not just that we stop doing certain things, but also now we start to do things that we've not done before. And that word intentionality that Norman brought up last week, he spoke about it last week, is key to that. If you choose to follow Jesus, then choose to follow him. Choose to do the things that he instructs us to do. In the same way that we don't stumble into our salvation, we don't stumble through our salvation either. It's an intentional choice that we make to give our lives to Jesus, and it is an intentional choice we make every day to live our lives the way that he wants us to. And sometimes that means that we stop doing the things that we did before, but it also means that we start doing things that we didn't do before like praying, like reading our Bibles, like regularly gathering with other Christians to worship God like we're doing this morning, like being involved with different ministries, whether that's in the local church or, uh, or apart from it uh, as part of the wider church of God, like receiving bread and wine as an act of remembrance for what Jesus did so that we can be reminded how thankful we need to be to him. And like telling other people about Jesus and what it means to follow him. So how are we doing with all that? Does your life look different on a daily basis to how it looked before you chose to follow Jesus? And does it look increasingly different? Do the conversations you have with other people sound different? Do the things that you choose to watch look different? 
Do the outgoings of your bank statement look different? Do the incomings look different? Because now you're part of a community who are concerned about your needs. If someone put your phone down next to an unsaved person's phone and browsed through the activities and the screen time, would they notice a difference? Does your diary look different? Or are you just too busy already to even find space in your diary? But thank goodness God understands that. And that is one of the places where it gets really hard to follow Jesus. Because it would be great to say, yes, God does understand. God does understand that that I'm so busy right now that I need to prioritize other things. That I'll try to fit him in somewhere, but but I've got other things to prioritize. I've I've got to make ends meet. I've got responsibilities that I have to fulfill. And yes, we do. And God does know. And God does understand that. But the truth of our relationship with God, the relationship that comes out of repentance, is that it isn't a relationship of compromise, but it's a relationship of surrender. There's a saying that I've heard here in Northern Ireland, if he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. We surrender ourselves to him, just like Jesus did in Gethsemane. Take this cup from me. Father, can we do things differently? Can, can we talk about this? Can we find a way that maybe works better for both of us? But no, Jesus recognizes that he needs to surrender to the Father. Not what you will. Uh, sorry, not what I will, but what you will. As we surrender to Jesus, we become like Jesus. And the more we surrender, the more we become like him. God sees it. God recognizes our struggles. He understands it. And he loves us. And so this relationship, surrender, also involves a loving exchange. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about asking the questions about what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the pagans, for the unrepentant, they run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows, he sees, he understands. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his way of doing things. Seek first the things that he wants from you. And then these things will be added to you. God doesn't want to see you suffer or struggle. He knows that we will because the world that we live in is a world full of broken people. People like us. But he also wants us to surrender to him. To follow his ways. He wants us to do the things that he asks of us. These things that we call in in our church lingo spiritual disciplines. But he asks us to do them for a reason. In in some of my spare oh sorry, in some of my spare time, uh, I, I volunteer with Coaching for Christ, helping with one of the teams. And at training sessions, we spend we spend time doing f- different exercises developing skills, developing techniques. And sometimes it's just simple things, like passing a ball. We just practice passing. Passing with the left foot, passing with the right foot, short passes, long passes. But we do it for a reason. They're the building blocks for bigger things. If we, if we just got the boys a training session every, every Tuesday night, every Thursday night, and all we did was play a game, they would never develop as footballers. 
If we never guided them, if we never instructed them, if we never spoke tactics with them, if we never corrected them when they made mistakes, they would never get any better. These footballing disciplines are there to help them get better as footballers. We practice our passing so that in a match we're far more comfortable and far more confident when we're on the ball and we're passing. Because as long as we've got the ball, the opposition can't score. If there's a match on Saturday, get to bed early on a Friday night because you don't want to be tired and exhausted and lack concentration on a Saturday morning. The basics have a bigger impact on the bigger picture. And it's the same with our spiritual development. Church on a Sunday morning? Well, then think about what you're doing on Saturday night so that you're not too tired to come to church on Sunday morning. And like the footballing disciplines are working towards something greater than the individual disciplines, it's the same with spiritual disciplines. They're working towards a greater purpose. We pray with one another for a reason. We read our Bibles for a reason. They don't, they're not the end in themselves. They are working to something greater. Paul writes over and over again in different ways that we are all being transformed into his image into Jesus' image with ever-increasing glory. That's what he writes to the church in Corinth. To the church in Rome, he says, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And to the Ephesians, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and and holiness. These things that we are called to do, these things that God wants us to do, these spiritual disciplines, we do them because they create a Christ-likeness in us. And why is that important? It's important so that when others look at us and when others watch us, and, and if you're a parent or a grandparent of children, as they look and watch, they learn from us. They are seeing more and more of Jesus reflected in us. And this transformation that happens within us is something that we call sanctification, becoming holy. And it doesn't happen by chance. It happens when we're intentional about it. When we put aside the time and prioritize the time to do the things of God. And that intentionality from our side is what we call discipleship being followers of Jesus. Over the coming weeks, as we travel through the series, we will look at some of these spiritual disciplines that we should be living by and following for the exact purpose for us to become more and more like Jesus. That passage that we read at the start that I haven't really referred to specifically contains these important words, which really sum up what I'm trying to say today. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That is our goal, to be holy as God is holy. And we do that, Peter says, not by doing the things that we did before when we did the things that the rest of the world does but rather we become like foreigners living in this world, in this broken world, as people who are visibly and noticeably different from the world around us. Because we don't do the things that the world around us does, we do things that God wants us to do. And we prioritize doing the things that God wants us to do. 
we become more and more like him until that day when Christ appears and we will become like him because we will see him as he is. Peter says that God has taken the first step that makes this possible, the first step, redemption through the blood of Christ. Jesus laying down his life for us, but that is only the first step. When we meet him at the cross, it is time to turn around and move in a different direction. Because if we don't change the direction of our life, we are destined only for death. But now, together with him, we walk on a journey that takes us closer and closer to him. Having climbed up Slemish for the first time, I will confess that I'm hooked already. Um, it took me back to school days and school camps when we hiked through forests and we climbed up these really massive hills. There's just something special about climbing and, and reaching the top and going, wow, I did that, I achieved that. Sleeve Donard's my goal now. But I know that before then, I'll need to do Slemish a few more times and I'll probably need to do a few others along the way. And I know that it will get easier and easier each time that I do these things because I'll become more confident. I'll become more aware of what the journey looks like. I'll become more aware of, of what are the safe options and where are the dangers, where are the places that are gonna slip me up or trip me over. What are the loose rocks that are not as steady and as solid as the other places? And when I'm faced with options, I'll know which one to choose for myself because I'll know I'll be better informed about what the better options are. I'll feel fitter and fitter each time. I'll feel more capable, better equipped for the climb. But that's only gonna happen if I do it. It's only gonna happen if I do it. God's call on our life to be holy as he is holy, to conform to his image, to the image of his son, isn't something that happens by chance. It happens when we are intentional about it. When we recognize that there are some things that don't help and I need to set them aside. That there are some things that do help, so I need to start doing them, or I need to get better at doing them. But we need to do them. We need to be intentional. So what is it that you need to surrender? What is it that you need to hand over to God, that you need to let go of in your life? The things that keep you up at night, the things that are stealing away your sleep, your energy, your well-being. Whether it's something that you're holding in your head or something that you're holding in your hand. What is it that you need to let go of and surrender to him? The things that take up your time. Time that you could be using, time that you could be spending on, on doing things that draw you closer to God. That change you into someone who is more like him. If we are to become more and more like Jesus, then we need to be intentional about it. We need to start handing over things to him that are not of him, so that we can pick up and pursue the things that are. You know what, there might be something in that saying after all. If he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. Shall we pray? God, my prayer is just a simple one. Help us to see the things that we need to let go of and give us the courage to do that. And help us to see what we need to start doing and give us the courage to do them. Amen.